0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 29 tonight, hard lessons and the love of God. Genesis 29. Now we've been watching conniving Jacob, and conniving Jacob, we last saw him Uh, as uh, he had stolen the birthright and the blessing from brother and mom overheard that Esau was mad and Esau was gonna console himself with the death of Jacob. And it was basically something this simple, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother and I'll feel better. If he's just dead, I'll feel better, (laughs) okay? So that's that's what Esau was cooking up and mom found out about it and mom said, Jacob, you need to get out of here. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to tell your dad that the the marriages that Esau has uh, committed to among the with these Canaanite women, these pagan ladies, is not cool. It's grievous to me. It's grievous to dad. And that's going to be the reason why dad blesses you and sends you off. And you're going to go to my brother. You're going to go to Laban, and you're going to find a bride there. And that's going to be the, the backstory. And so off Jacob went. And he was literally between a rock and a hard place. And he started traveling. And he had about a 500-mile journey to travel. And as he went, remember, he set up a little uh, makeshift pillow. It was actually a rock. You guys all remember that? It was a rock. It wasn't terribly comfortable. And he laid his head down. And he had this incredible dream. And the dream was of a what? Remember? It was of a ladder and that ladder went from earth all the way up to heaven and on that ladder angels were descending and ascending on the ladder and Jacob saw this incredible sight. It was a dream, but it was also what we call a theophany. It was an appearance of God. God appeared to Jacob in the midst of his trouble, in the midst of his wondering, am I gonna make it? What's gonna happen? Where am I going? He probably felt very alone, and God gave him this, this, this vision of a ladder. And the message of the latter was simply this, that God is involved, heaven does come down to earth. There is a connection between heaven and earth and one of the primary things that God does, though we don't see angels, it's very rare when there's an angel sighting, if you will, we don't see them, yet they are ministering spirits and they've come to minister to those who will inherit salvation and that's you and me. That's found in Hebrews 1 verse 14. Angels are involved. In fact, angels are involved in the ministry of the church. Angels long to look into the things of salvation. They are concerned about the way that we worship God. They are messengers of God, and they will even help execute God's judgment in the last days of the day of the Lord. And this incredible ladder where angels are moving up and down on the ladder, I took you to John chapter 1 and we found out that the ladder is really a a symbol or it becomes an image of the Lord Jesus Christ who left heaven, came down to earth and loves us. He is Jacob's ladder, but he is also Michael's ladder. And everyone else who is in here who has received Christ, he is the way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father, what? Except through him. He is God's answer to all that ails us. God came down in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's how we reconnect. He is how we reconnect with the Father. And so Jacob had this incredible dream. And the dream was meant to reassure him that wherever he would be, wherever he would go, God was with him. God was going to bless him because of his promises to Abraham and his promises to Isaac. Jacob would be blessed, not because he was such a great guy, but because God is such a great God. Amen? God is faithful to his promises. And Jacob said, man, God was in this place, and I didn't even... Know it, how many times have we been there? God was in this place, God was here all the time and I didn't realize this, I didn't realize it and I will call this place Bethel. Remember, Beit El House of God and he poured oil on the stone, and I told you that stone may have been part of a altar that Grandpa Abraham had set there years before, and you can see how it's all intertwined, and he poured oil on the rock, and I'll tell you this, it meant to Jacob that God is with me, he's not leaving me, he's not forsaking me, he knows where I am, he knows I'm in the midst of this long journey, and God knows where you and I are tonight. God is faithful. In fact, we are God's Bethel. We are the house of God. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? That's what 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You've been bought with a price, therefore do what? Glorify God with your body. You and I are the house of God. We are Bethel. And Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to what? The end of the age. Hebrews 13, five and six says, we may confidently say the Lord is my helper. I'm not gonna fear man because he has said, I will never leave you and I will what? I will never forsake you. God is faithful, even if everyone else forsakes you. Jacob may have been traveling alone. He may have thought, you know what, I've messed up and everybody's gone and I've got nothing left and I don't even know where I'm going and I don't even know if these people will open their tent doors to me, but God said, I'm with you, Jacob, and that's all you need to know. But God is in the shaping business and God is going to use all of these experiences to shape uh, Jacob. And Paul uh, says in Galatians 4:19, that he was laboring among the Galatians until Christ was formed in them." And I just want you to write down Galatians 4:19. So you know, and I think we all know what God is up to, God is forming Christ in us. And he's got a lot of work to do. Oh, yeah. We got rough edges, people. Amen. Now, hopefully, he's smoothing them out. I know he is for all of us, but it takes a while. So Jacob is on this journey. Pick it up, Genesis 29, verse 1. Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the sons of the east. Just If you're you're a note-taker, just write down Mesopotamia, because that's where he's gone. He's gone to the sons of the east. That's just this general area of Haran, where he is going to go now and meet up with uh, family. And so Jacob is traveling. Jacob went on his journey. And uh, he was, he was uh, moving along on this path that God had for him. And uh, the Hebrew language here speaks of the fact that his feet were light. I think after this vision, I think after he met with God and got the assurances of God that his steps were a little lighter have you ever had this experience where you may have heavy times in your life, you may have difficult circumstances, they may even feel overwhelming to you, but God meets you in a special way. Maybe he meets you at a worship service. Maybe he meets you in a time of prayer. Maybe he meets you in your car during, you turn on a sermon or you, you experience some worship music and all of a sudden God lightens your step. Even though your circumstances haven't changed, God meets you, and he says, you know what? If I'm for you, who, who can be against you? I'm for you, Jacob. I know you've messed up. I know what you've done. And so Jacob, on this long journey, journey finally comes to at least the first point of destination, and he looked, 29.2 in Genesis, and he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it, And from that well, they watered the flocks. Now, the stone on the mouth of the well was large. That stone would protect the well from pollution like dirt and stuff like that, and also protect the well from people coming and taking the water. And so Jacob comes upon a well, and a well is an image that's used many times in the book of Genesis, and it speaks, a well speaks of life. Jesus said to the woman at the well that springs of water would come what flowing out of her as she realized that he would give her a different type of water this is what god wants her to do and so here is these sheep at the well and i'll tell you what we as the sheep of god we need to be at the well We need to keep dipping our cup into the well because God has inexhaustible living waters that he wants to give out. Grace upon grace, and the way he gives them out is every time you get around the things of God, God fills up your cup some more. And every time you stay away from the things of God, you dry out some more. Somebody once said the Christian life is like being on a treadmill. If you stand still, you are going to fall off. Can I get a witness? Right? The treadmill forces you to move, baby. If you don't move, it's taking you that away. So you better keep trucking along. And the way we find power, the way we are watered in our lives is at the well of God. He has a wellspring for us. And, but there was a stone, a large stone on the mouth of the well. There were flocks sitting there. When all the flocks, verse 3, were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. And put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, it appears that Jacob was not greeted by anybody. Have you ever come somewhere and maybe you've been on a long journey and you're hoping someone will talk to you? You know, uh, like you show up at a church, you know? I'm hoping someone's gonna talk to me tonight. If we haven't talked to you so far, I apologize. If you're new, we will talk to you. If you meet us at the end of the service near the cookies, it's guaranteed that we'll have a conversation with you, probably about who gets the cookie. But anyway, and so he has to initiate the discussion. He says, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Now these may have been, some scholars believe they may have been shepherd boys. We don't know for sure. But Jacob has to initiate the conversation. And so he says to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor, verse 5? And they said, yeah, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now he says, do you know him? And they don't say anything about Laban, no commentary. They just say, yeah, yeah, we know him. And he says, well, are things cool with him? Is he still around? Is he blessed? And they're like, yeah, He's fine. One writer said that these guys remind him of dock workers on their lunch break. You know, you have to kind of pull information, barely make eye contact, you know, kind of mumble when they respond, yeah, yeah, we know, yeah, yeah, we know him. you know, maybe taking a siesta with a hat over their eyes, yeah, little eye contact, and kind of like, welcome to Mesopotamia, boy. And so they, but they mention Rachel, and and it's kind of like, they say Rachel, his daughter is coming with the sheep, and maybe with some hope that Rachel will talk to this guy so he'll quit bothering them. (laughs) And he said, behold, here's Jacob, he says, behold, it's still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go pasture them. Now, Jacob's a bit aggressive with these new friends, isn't he? He goes, hey. This is not the proper time to be sitting around. Why don't you, you guys should have taken care of watering the sheep earlier. You should be out having them graze in the pasture. You need to fatten these things up. Can you imagine these these guys? Like, and who are you? Now, some commentators believe that uh, Jacob has seen Rachel coming. He's seen her from a distance. He's seen her form and kind of noticed a little bit of her, of her beauty. And this is conjecture, but some commentators believe he's trying to move the group away so he can have a little solo time with Rachel. Like, uh, can you move along? Move along, boys. <laughs> Here, here's 50 cents. Go buy an ice cream. Can't buy an ice cream for 50 cents. What am I talking about? Here's $5. But they said, We cannot. They're on the defensive. Until all the flocks are gathered and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. Look, I know you're new around here, pal, but let us fill you in on how we do things around here. We wait until everyone is here, okay? Then we roll the stone away and then we water the sheep. Capiche? Hey, would you leave us alone? How much information do you need? (laughs) So they seem to be the first in line. And uh, they're just waiting. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came, verse 9, with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, Rachel's name means you or you lamb. And scholars believe that there's a little bit of a play on words as Rachel enters the scene for the first time. Her name means little lamb or you lamb, and she's a shepherdess, and she's leading the flock of her father. And so she becomes uh, something that really, she's a person that really catches the eye of Jacob. And uh, later on, Jacob will say at the end of his life, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, as he's blessing his family, he says, God has been my shepherd. And here comes this little ewe lamb. And it came about when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, so Laban's his uncle, and the sheep of Laban. Notice the order. He saw Rachel first, then the sheep. And that's, that's a sign that he likes her. His mother's brother, that Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now when he saw Rachel, he sprung into action. Yeah, you know, there are people laying around here. We don't we don't take the mouth of the we don't take that stone away till everybody's gathered here. Just so you know, Jacob sees Rachel and he goes, "Oh yeah, <laughs> 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 right." And he goes, and it would seem that this was a communal job that they kind of moved the stone away from the mouth of the well as a group. But Jacob mustered up some strength. I don't know if he's doing push-ups along the way. But, you know, he got a little extra strength trying to impress Rachel. I don't know if he hurt his back afterwards, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, come on. Anyway, but he wanted to impress her. I know that there's never been a guy who's done something on his own to impress a girl. Never tried to act like he was more macho than he really was. Stronger than he really was. Get out of the way. (laughs) Ladies first. Back off, shepherd boys. There's a new sheriff in town. (laughs) His name's Jacob, right? And then he watered her flock. She had to be pretty impressed. Like, wow, who is this guy? Jacob, he rolled the stone away. He watered the flock. Everybody else was just kind of hanging around. And notice, then Jacob kissed Rachel, verse 11. And he lifted his voice and wept. Now just so you guys know, this kiss, later on Uncle Laban's gonna kiss Jacob. This is not a romantic kiss. This is a kiss of kind of the Eastern tradition. So he probably kissed her on the cheek or gave her a kiss on each cheek. But then he begins to cry. And I I don't know all of what's behind his emotion, but have you ever had that moment where, you know, you were depending on God, you were moving along, you didn't know what was going to happen, and finally you end up somewhere, and God does something bigger than you ever could have imagined? Not only do you find out that you've connected with your family under the sovereign guidance of God, but you've met a girl who all of a sudden you think, you know what, she could be my wife. And I think Jacob was overwhelmed with God's goodness to him, and and he began to weep. I don't know if he weeped on her shoulder or what happened here, but this was the first instance of kissing cousins, just so you guys know. I want to write that down. No, don't write that down. And Jacob, <laughs> Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. Now... We imagine at this point that uh, Rachel is relatively young, and uh, she runs off to tell Dad. So it came about when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, so it's his nephew, that he ran. Everybody's running around. He ran to meet him, and he embraced him and kissed him. Everybody's running, everybody's kissing. And he brought him into the house, into his house, and then he related to Laban all these things. And so all of a sudden, dad comes and he's excited. And we might wonder, why is Laban so excited that Jacob has arrived? Do you remember when Abraham's servant went to look for a bride for Isaac? He came to this same place. And he had been praying and he said, if, if the girl who comes and she's willing to water the camels, that'll be a sign, Lord, that she's the gal that my, uh, my servant uh, has sent me for his son, and, and this will be the sign. And she did just that. And when he got to the house, he made this proposition. He said, look, my master's looking for a bride, and I think she's it. And he told the story. And the family said, yeah, how can we argue with it? This must be from God. And he gave gifts to the mother, and the Bible says, and the brother, gifts of gold and all kinds of gifts. And when Laban heard that another kid had traveled from this same tent, guess what? Laban was probably thinking, Aha! We struck it rich once. Another kid's back, and I bet you he's looking for a bride, and I got two daughters, and this, cha-ching! yeah! Seeing dollar signs. Now, some of you are saying, Boy, you're you're being hard on Laban, Pastor Michael. You're gonna find out about Laban. <laughs> Laban is not a high upstanding citizen. He's in it for me. And Jacob is about to meet his match because Jacob had been in it for him as well, for himself. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone. You are my bone and my flesh, referencing Genesis two, twenty-three. And he stayed with him a month. One, uh, I think, as Gordon Wenham said, that he sees in verse fourteen a grudging admission by Laban that Jacob had finally convinced him that he was family, and he takes it like this: verse fourteen, "Okay, you are my nephew, and can you repeat it one more time? You don't have any money, that kind of thing." <laughs> Because Laban is thinking in ancient terms, and in ancient terms, if a suitor came uh, from a distance, that he was probably looking for a bride. And what that meant for the dad of the daughter was a dowry. And historians tell us that the dowry, the bride price in those days, was roughly equivalent to the price that you would pay for a home today. It's a very significant amount of money or what you would get out of it, whether it was actual money or flocks or gifts or that kind of thing. And so he's kind of saying, okay, you're my nephew, okay? Uh, And he had him stay with for a month. Now, if you ever have somebody stay at your house for a month, you know, anyway, I'm not even going to comment, but but a month, anyway, I don't even know what to say about that. But anyway, let's, let's just keep going. Verse 15, so Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore <laughs> notice this serve me for nothing? Uh, I didn't know. I don't know if you knew this, but you're my servant now. Tell me what shall your wages be? So Uncle Laban puts it to Jacob. They're probably having some some cereal, probably some cocoa puffs early in the morning. And he says, Hey, uh, let's talk about what you're going to be doing around here. Let's talk about your wages since you're going to be serving me now because you you probably you know you probably came with nothing. Should you serve me for nothing? What should it be? And so they had a little negotiation. And Laban had two daughters, 16. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. We've already been introduced to Rachel. Now we meet Leah. Now Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now we're going to see a distinction between the two sisters. Leah is the older, Rachel is the younger And we have this description that Leah's eyes are weak. Now, for any of you who wear glasses, we might immediately take it this way. I have a confession to make. I was making fun of people who had to wear those readers. Anybody in the room? You got to do those readers? Those of you who have a a look like, what are they talking about? You'll find out. And they sell them at the, you know, my wife has a pair of readers everywhere. I think there's about 75 pairs in the house. They're hung on lamps, refrigerators, that kind of thing. And I'm like, you have these readers everywhere. What's, what's going on? And you can usually tell when someone needs a reader, pair of glasses when they start doing this with the menu at the restaurant. Right? So then it happened. One day, my wife noticed that I was moving books farther and farther away, and she went, Hey, try these. And I went, Woo! And then I had to make the confession. I had to repent in sackcloth and ashes. It was, anyway. Okay, that's not what I think this means, though. Leah's eyes being weak is a Hebrew word that means tender, delicate, or weak. And there are people who say, scholars who say, that her eyes lacked sparkle. I guess in the ancient East, a sparkle in the eye was a big deal to them. And so that's kind of how they measured things. And, and that may be what's going on here. Leah is contrast, contrasted with her sister. And a verse that is so beautiful in Genesis 29 Verse 20 says, Jacob served Laban seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. You know, the Bible, uh, brothers and sisters, my friends that listen to Living Truth Radio, the Bible is really a love story. And God is holy and God is just and God is righteous. But in the end, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. They will have everlasting life. And it wasn't seven years of hard labor that Jesus did to pay the dowry for your soul. It was his own precious blood shed on the cross that purchased our redemption. This is how great his love is for us. You know, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. And this is the good news of the gospel and there's bad news before we get to the good news there is bad news we've sinned against a holy god the wages of our sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord when we're confronted with the law the law is a tutor to drive us to christ the law Uh, shows us that everybody's guilty before God. Everybody has lied. Everybody has lusted in some form, stolen. It doesn't matter what the value of what you've taken. Uh, Dishonored our parents at some point, taken the name of the Lord in vain. And if we had to stand before God in the unrighteousness of our own good deeds, we'd be in deep trouble. But we have been cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. If you're a Christian... The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to your account by faith. And what drove that decision was love. God so loved the world. God so loved you. The Apostle Paul on Galatians 2.20 said, Christ loved me and delivered himself up for me. God loves you, my friend, but you must receive that love. Ultimately, you must say yes to that proposal. You must say, I will go with this man. And when you do... You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.